Hey, my name is Lucas, and I want to welcome you to the official podcast of Coastline Young Adults from Coastline Church in Victoria. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you in your faith and helping you apply it to real life in real time. Here you'll find messages from our weekly service at Coastline Nights and other conversations where we talk and tackle what it means to be a follower of Jesus in today's culture. Everything you find here will point you to the truth and hope of Jesus. So grab a beverage, enjoy the message, and lean into how God wants to speak to you today. Good evening, church. How are we doing tonight? Oh, that's pretty good. Thanks. Thanks for that. That's awesome. Uh, welcome to church. My name is Lucas. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you here as well. Um, I just want to say, if you're new, visiting, uh, maybe it's spring break and you're just in town, whatever that may be, I just want to welcome you here. Um, I met a lot of people today visiting just from out of town and coming to the island for a bit, and so I just hope you feel encouraged and blessed tonight. I hope the service has touched you so far. Uh, I hope something is, is speaking to you, and I pray that the message does as well. Like Steph said, we're in a new series tonight. For the next two weeks, we really just want to cast our heart, our eyes towards Easter. Um, if you've been involved in church at all, if you've been around the church world at all, if you consider yourself a Christian, Easter's kind of a big deal. <laughs> like it's, it's, you know, Easter and Christmas. Those two are, are, are significant for us. And I just, I think for me at least, I felt like as we were kind of thinking about this series, how important it would be. Uh, I know it's my heart. I know it's Andy's heart for the whole church really to have your heart, hopefully, kind of begin to see Easter with a new, I don't know how to say it, like I think a new sense of gratitude. Um, I think for many of us, we can go into Easter with just our regular like Easter plan, right? We're going to have Good Friday service, I'll get that off work, and then I'm gonna go to this family's house or friend's house for Easter, and we're gonna have ham then and turkey then, and then we're gonna go, you know what I mean? And it kind of just becomes the, the long weekend. And I think I just don't want it to lose its, its beauty, and I don't want us to <clears throat> rush past what is, if you consider yourself a Christian, the most significant moment, not only in your life, but in history. And I think something so, like, like with such grandeur, I just don't want to rush past it. And so that's why I wanted to kind of unpack the road that Jesus, like, quite literally walked on his way to the resurrection. Because I think what you see in Jesus on the way to the cross is a beautiful sense of humanity. And what you see on the cross is a beautiful sense of his divinity. You kind of see those two worlds collide. You see humanity and divinity like clash. You see, yes, the death and the pain and the wrath, but then we also see the resurrection. And if you follow along in the book of John, you'll see this. Like the first 10 or 11 chapters are very much like, the, the, the theme of the book of John is like that he is the son of God, that he is a deity. Like there is power there. But then these last like 10 chapters, Passion Week, like leading to the cross and after it, there is such beautiful like, human responses, the humanity is so real, it's so touching, it's so profound, and so I want to unpack that with you. I think it really matters, and I do think we can all come across or come away this Easter with a greater sense of gratitude and love, and I think the way you do that is not just looking at the resurrection, but at the road that Jesus took to get there. Because again, and this is kind of a main theme that we're using in our whole series, while the resurrection from the cross shows us the divinity of Jesus, the road to the cross shows us the humanity of Jesus. And I think unpacking both really matter. How many people would say, I don't know about you, but the road that we walk in life, um, you know, whatever has led us to today, to 6.38 p.m. on March, you know, Sunday the 26th, like your road getting to this point here and now, I'm sure has had all sorts of ups and downs. 
I'm sure we can all agree, we can all look back at the road that led us to this point and say, there's some stuff I'd be okay to forget. There's some stuff I could do again. That was fun. There's some stuff I don't even want to talk about because it was so hard and so heavy. I think that's the truth for all of us, that the road we walk is not always the path we want. And I think you can almost argue that when you really look at Jesus. I think he was completely aware of what he had to do. The mission was clear. He predicted his own death to his disciples multiple times. I think he understood the mission. He knew, again, like what the plan was, but did he know the extent of the pain ahead and every like piece that had to happen? I'm not, I don't know. It just, it's so captivating to me. And so that's why I wanna go over it with you because I know for me, I have... You know, I have, I, have, I have a lot of, I have 32 years of experience in this life. And that's a joke. Um, boomer to many of you. And I, I recognize, I gotta stop with that joke. I, I recognize that like we all have different life experiences that take us to this place right now that are challenging. And that the road we've walked is not always easy. And there has been ups and downs and heaviness and, and challenge. And the road to the cross shows us that in Jesus. The ups, the downs, the heaviness, the worry, the anger, the sadness, the, real, the reality of life. Couldn't help but think of this story of me and my wife one time when, um, before we had Georgia, Trina was 20 weeks pregnant, we went on the baby moon. I'm recognizing as I said that word all day that baby moon is very much like a millennial thing. But anyways, I had to explain it to so many people. We went on our baby moon, like this last trip before Georgia came, and um, we were in Arizona, we had family there, and we took a little trip up to Sedona. I don't know if anyone's been there or around Arizona, but it's beautiful. I really love the desert. Um, I, 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 no ocean, and I don't care. I don't know why. I'm sorry. Forgive me. But I, it's just, it's a really, it's a beautiful state, and it really is. And so we were in Sedona. We traveled up to, like, see kind of, like, picturesque Grand Canyon spots. And listen, I am not the fun one to travel with between me and Trina. Like, if you want someone who's fun, who's life-giving, who's like has plans and who wants to try things, spontaneous, that is Trina Bonnet. You want you want guy a guy who's gonna arrive at the airport seven hours early and and your hotel will have a continental breakfast. Book with me, you know. Like that's kind of what I think is like. This is a what's a good hotel? Does it have a free breakfast with dry croissants and that pancake? sludge that comes out of the machine, that's where I want to stay. Anyone else? Does it have a water slide? Can I get an amen? You know, like, I, like the hotel I booked in Sedona, I booked because it literally said on the website, best breakfast burritos. Like that is, that's why it shows it. Didn't even get one, by the way, and you'll, you're about to find out why. But that's, that's where I was. Training. We get to Sedona and she's like, let's go on a helicopter tour. I'm like, do you want to meet our child? No, like we're not doing that. And sure enough, she found someone and, and we went on this helicopter. Like we arrived, boom. 20 minutes later, I'm in a helicopter, freaking out. I don't like, it was, just, it was crazy. She's in the front seat having just a great time. I'm in the back losing my mind like, Lord, don't let me die, you know? And then the next morning she wanted to go on a hike. I was like, we're on vacation. Who does this? Like, uh, I want to go and eat a burrito, burrito pool and she's like hike let's go on a hike so I find this hike I talk to the hotel um, front desk I'm like oh there's a great hike it's really close it's not long either like two two kilometers up and down it's easy it's called the devil's bridge like saved by grace listen we can do it let's go and so we went to the devil's bridge we went where I thought was the devil's bridge and we park and we start walking and we're on this path and it's pretty easy going it's fine and then I remember there, like being a few different options and I saw people kind of go every way. So I just, I don't know, I kind of went down this one path that seemed a little easier. And sure enough, it wasn't. There was like 
really big rocks. I felt like I was in a river without the water. Like it was like the sides were up and these rocks were huge. And Trina's like, this doesn't feel like the right path. I'm like, it's fine, we're fine. We're going two kilometers, three kilometers, four kilometers on this hike, seeing no one, like no one is around us. And then the rocks get really jagged. We are seven kilometers into this hike. And because I'm so intelligent, I brought one granola bar for my 20 week pregnant wife. And you know those water bottles they give you like on check-in, those like mini, mini Dasani's? We had one of those in Arizona in June. Like this is like 100 degrees, it's like it's picking up. And I just remember starting to freak out. And then finally we saw someone. And later we found out when we got to the start of the hike, seven kilometers in, that the hike was 7K in. And then it was a two kilometer up and down. Like, thanks for nothing, hotel. Like, so we did it. And we went up and down. And, and, and then we thought we went the right way back, which was a different way. And, and then we get lost again. And we are now two kilometers, seven, nine, ten. Like, we are now... 12 kilometers into a hike. It is noon, it is 100 degrees. We have no water, we have no food, and I have no idea where we are. We haven't seen anyone, we're trying to walk back, and at this point, me and Trina look at each other and we can both, we both know this is not a good situation, we don't wanna admit this is not a good situation, you know? We keep walking, we keep walking, 13. Like, we're almost at 14 kilometers, and I remember Trina looking behind us and saying, oh look, there's like, there's like a dog. Yeah, that's also known as a coyote. I kid you not, it could smell my fear. And I had to walk backwards for like two kilometers watching this coyote. It, it stalked us guys, no joke. It wanted blood, it wanted flesh, and it wanted me. And it did, it just slowly kind of would get a little closer, a little bit closer. By the end of this hike, from like honestly, the width of this whole room, that's how close this it was coming up to us and I was starting to like scream at it and I was like Trina if anything happens I love you tell my child I love him I was like giving her the speech and she's like we're fine relax I'm like like so freaked out and I'm honking the horn of the rental car just waiting for like the sounds to go off finally hear something finally we do and Trina just takes off left me on my own woman just books it so fast gets to the car I'm like it's gonna be fine and I just like took off as well 15 kilometers later so hot, like ink, like blood on the feet, like hitting rocks. Friends, the road we walk is not always the path we want. In life, we get lost. There are hard moments. There are challenging things. There, are, you, Sometimes you literally are, feel like you're getting attacked, whether it's an animal or not. I obviously tell that story as a bit of a symbolism for us that even in our life, as we walk the road that we're trying to lead, that not everything lines up the way we want it. But isn't that the most important part of the gospel? is that Jesus says, I will walk right beside you. I walked a similar road. I understand the heaviness of the path that you walk. And I want you to see that tonight. I think it's really important. And so let's jump into it tonight. We're in John 11, starting in just uh, verse one. I'm sure if you've been in the church lots, this will be a, ser uh, a sermon or at least a story you have heard before, but I hope it provides just like profound insight because in this story is when everything really begins to happen. And what I mean by that is that the ball begins to roll, if you will, as, as Jesus heads to the cross. The death of Lazarus, it's, it's titled here. John 11, verse one. Are you ready, church? Oh, that was mediocre, but that's okay. We'll keep going. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair 
So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. This is important. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Again, he loved them. He was close with them. Verse six. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. This, I just wanna stop for a moment. Um, he was very close with this family. This is like, you know those aunts and uncles that aren't actually aunts and uncles? That's, it's like this, that's like that vibe. Like, like oh, we're only friends, but we're his closest family. Like very close to these, this, this, this family here. And it's interesting to read. He says, it says, when he heard this, he declared a promise over their life. This will not end in death. Promise one. Then he goes on to say, it says, Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And because of his love for them, he stayed where he was for two days. That's a bit challenging to read, isn't it? Like that's not like, that's not really what you would expect. You'd be like, and because he loved them so much, he ran and healed Lazarus. Like he, he ran and did what only he can do. But it's not what it says. It says he quite literally stayed where he was for two more days. And first, when you read that, I understand it's a challenge tonight. It might be hard to hear this evening that Jesus knows there is a need, but he does not act right away. He promises to fulfill it. He says, this will not end in death. He declares what he's going to do, but he doesn't go and do it yet. I, I, it's hard to say it, but I, I think it's clear that Jesus prolonged the sorrow of Martha and, and Mary. I think he deliberately waits. He does, and we'll read that in the story, to bring back Lazarus after four days, and he does that for specific reasons, which we'll hit a little bit later in the sermon. Jesus, again, he promises to fulfill the request, but he fulfills it on what? Guys, his timing. And I've said this to this crowd before, and so I don't wanna prolong it, but friends, delayed gratification is better for our souls than we like to admit. Delaying a miracle is not the same as denying a miracle. Delaying that prayer request is not the same as denying your prayer request. Our God, like, he, he is in control. He, it's his will, we pray. That's what the Lord's Prayer says. Let your will be done, not mine. We submit and come under God because the Bible continues to tell us again and again and again and again to wait on the Lord. Waiting on God, I think, I think sometimes that frustrates us. We're like, if he's a loving God, then why doesn't he show up? Friends, a, a God of instant gratification is not a God. That is a butler. That is a vending machine. That is, do you know what I'm saying? Like the intellectual response that, well, if he loves us, if he's a caring God, then he would respond. I, I understand what you're trying to say in that, but what I'm trying to say back to you is his love comes in ways that maybe you don't, maybe we don't define love the same way. Maybe our timing isn't actually the best timing. If I gave my son Bo everything he ever wanted at the time he asked for it, I don't think he'd be alive. Like, he, he, you know what I mean? Like, he, this, let's relax. We take good care of Bo. It's okay if you're new here. He's well-fed and he's loved. He's got all the cars in the world. I'm just saying, like, we don't respond that way to our kids' requests. And, and God the Father is saying, I hear you, but trust me, I know what you need. And I know, like, it's really easy for the pastor preacher dude to, to say, wait on the Lord. Can I just tell you how challenging it is to say to the, like, to four services today, that. I am not suggesting that is easy. 
I'm not suggesting this is not something me and Trina don't fight through and, and battle every single week and day. I'm not, this is such a lesson for me right now. I'm trying to just emphasize that his delay is not his denial. And it's very different. And so whatever you may be facing, maybe, just maybe God has delayed the fulfillment of that promise, not denied or said no to the fulfillment of that promise. Are you hearing me tonight? Man, I, and I used to think this all the time. I'd hear this like, we've got, like, why doesn't God just do big miracles? Well, if he did, you know, then no one would believe because it would seem. I just think, and I just think maybe we have this mixed up. John Piper always says there's, there were fewer miracles in the Bible than you probably realize and more miracles today than you probably know. And I think it's, I think it's probably true. And we as Christians, we love to throw scripture like Philippians 1, 6, he, he, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Friends, that verse is talking about the gospel in your heart, not the external prayers you're praying. That verse in Philippians 1, 6 says, he who began a good work in you. It's talking about the transformative power. And so again, I just say, yes, God brings freedom and he brings power and he brings life. And yes, he can do miracles. So why does he delay? Well, in this case, he deliberately delays so that more people would see the miracle. He, he, he quite literally says it to them. And again, I'll show it to you in, in the scripture. And I think sometimes this happens. You know, this sweet, sweet lady in our prayer, Tuesday prayer, she sent me this article this week that talked about um, this girl in the, in the earthquakes in, in Syria and Turkey. Because we've been praying on Tuesdays. We pray every week. And we've been praying for, for the care, for the nations, for the governments, for everything, for Turkey and Syria after the earthquake happened. And, uh, or the earthquakes, I should say. And um, she sent me this article of this girl who, I, I believe she was no older than six or seven, had been trapped underneath the apartment in rubble for over six days. Over six days. And when they found her, they assumed that she'd be in a lot of pain, that she'd be, you know, like hunger and water, like deprivation, all those things would have set in. And they said, you must be starving. You must be so hungry. And she leans over to them and says, I'm not hungry. I'm full. Every day a man has come and fed me water and food. I don't need anything. And they found nothing wrong in her body. They did a full, like, look over, and she had every nutrient and protein. She quite literally, medically was full. Three days later, the same thing boy, eight years old, was trapped for eight days under the rubble, and he said the very same thing, that a man in white continued to come and feed me bread and water every day. It's a sweet article from this sweet lady, but I can't help but say, man, God's doing great things. If you could only know all the stories of the people in our church year after year, decade after decade, the miracles that even I know of in this room right now, God is working, guys. He may not answer every prayer like that. He may be some, there might be some delay, but our God does move. He does answer your prayers. Verse eight, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews were, tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And all those who nap said, amen. I know it's you. I know it's this generation. Big nappers in this room. I can sense it. I know it. It's true. That's what's funny. It's funny. Sorry, I know you're nappers. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought they meant natural sleep. 
So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, he says, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Just some quick points, because I don't wanna get behind. There's lots of scripture still to hit. Um, Jesus is basically saying, listen, there's lots of time. Don't worry, God has a plan. I've already told you I'm gonna fulfill this. We're not gonna get attacked. Don't worry, it's not the hour for that yet. I'm not gonna hide in the dark. God is in control. Just like we're delaying, we're gonna be okay. And then they say, oh, if you're only there kind of thing. You know, they said to him like, it's too bad you weren't there. And he's, I'm glad I'm not there. I'm glad I wasn't there for your sake so that you may believe. So this is the first time you'll see it's gonna, it's gonna happen. Mary, Martha, a bunch of people are gonna continue to say, oh, wish you were there sort of thing. And God is saying, Jesus right now is saying, it's a good thing I'm not there so that many will believe. And then Thomas, just, this is just a side note. We all needed Thomas in our life. Thomas, uh, the word Didymus is, is twin. It's his, it's, his, it's his Greek name. Thomas is Hebrew name. It really most church tradition tell us that Thomas and Jesus like look alike, like very alike. So anytime they went to a sketchy area, Thomas was just like, well, if anyone's gonna die, it's not gonna be Jesus right now, it's gonna be me. And so that's why he's like, well, if we're gonna die, let's do it now. Kind of, I can just picture him stretching like, you good, Jesus? All right, I'll take one for the team. And so he walks in with Jesus. I just love it. I just think it's a great, a great side note. On his arrival, verse 17, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So he's been buried like in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. There it is again. But now I know, but now I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, oh, yeah, I know he will rise again in the resurrection the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life and the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I just wanna read that again. You can close your eyes if you want, but, but this time you can almost, sometimes I'll, I like to put my name in almost being like, not, not Martha, but Lucas. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Did you catch that? Like he, 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 he's literally saying, he's not claiming to have resurrection power. He's not claiming to, that he can, he's not philosophizing or theorizing like the Greeks did, by the way, about life. That's not what's happening here. He's not just throwing some like self-help or encouragement here. That's not what Jesus is saying. And again, if you're kind of on the fence with this whole Christian thing, can I encourage you to really think about this? Seven times Jesus uses these I am statements in the book of John leading to the cross. And this is one of the most profound ones. I'm the bread of life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Like all these different moments. And right here he says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am those things. Instead of saying you can have, or maybe if we pray, he dramatically says that he is the source. He is what uh, Lazarus needs. He is what Martha needs. He is the resurrection and the life. Meaning to know Jesus is to know resurrection power. And to, to have Jesus is to have eternal life. This is a really big deal. 
This is really profound. In this moment, right here to, to Martha, in this statement, he, he is literally saying, he's claiming to be the champion of death. He is saying, like, sin and death are linked, church. There, there is. We see that whether you read Genesis 1, 2, and 3 in Paul's letters, like, the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. And now Jesus is saying right here, actually, sin doesn't get the last word. The Bible says this, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? This is, this is 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is claiming to get the last word. He's saying, listen, this situation you see here that literally feels as far gone as possible, I'm gonna bring resurrection power to it because I am the resurrection. I am the life. Meaning for us today, the things that feel dead, the things that feel buried, the things that feel lost, the things that feel gone, Jesus is saying, I bring resurrection power to that. Jesus gets the last word. Are you seeing me? Like, it is finished were the last words on the cross, friends. Not whatever Martha is thinking. Not whatever happened to Lazarus. This is the difference between every other theory and thought in compared to Jesus. That even in death, this is the beauty of the gospel, you guys. That even in death, when that happens, even in the bitterness of death, God offers the most beautiful reward that is heaven that is a place to be in eternity with him. And so he takes the hardest moments of anyone's life and offers this transformative solution. So I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what that last word that has been marked on your heart, like just broken, damaged goods. Unlovable, like we talked about last week. A pain, like mistake. People don't get the last word. Your mistakes don't get the last word. Sin does not get the last word. Jesus does. That is the gospel. That he gets the last word in your life, over your life, for your life. He is the resurrection and the life. Are you hearing me tonight, Coastline Nights? This is what the gospel is. This is what he is saying. He is claiming something so massive. I just, I want you to see it. And if you don't believe it, I want you to think about it. Because that is a massive claim to say that no matter what you're going through, no matter the grave that you find yourself in, I can be raised, I can, I can raise you out of it. Jesus gets the last word. And I love that, I love that. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary. It's important actually, because after he says, I'm the resurrection and life, I always skip this part. He says, yes, Lord. She replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who's come into the world. And then in verse 28, she said, I want, she goes back to Mary and says, the teacher is here. It's really interesting. It shows that one, she knows that he has come to do something like important and significant, and yet there's still doubt. There's still doubt. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. So Mary heard this. She got up and she quickly went to him. Now Jesus had entered, not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. Verse 31, when the Jews who had been with um, Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was, 
and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Okay, again, we hear this, right? So Jesus has to declare it to his disciples. Trust me, it's good I wasn't there. Then Martha says, if you had only been here. Then Mary says, if you had only been here. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, everyone went to Pee Wee College or kids' church, always memorize this one for points, right? Jesus wept. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved them. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So now the Jews are saying it. Literally everyone who's, who's Jesus is encountering right now, Mary, Martha, the Jews who were mourning with Mary, the disciples, all are like, Jesus, if he just would have been there. And can I just, let's just emphasize, empathize for a moment. We've all asked that question. I talked to a wonderful couple today after church who's, who, who know exactly how that feels because they prayed that very same prayer. God, where were you? I called out. I reached out. Where were you? I'm asking for you. We're, I'm clearly in trouble. I need something. We've prayed that prayer before. We've asked that from the Lord. Would you just show up, if any time, now? And in this moment, Jesus weeps. The Bible says that Jesus wept. And one, I want you to know this, and I really believe it. I believe that's firstly and most importantly probably that Jesus, he weeps in this moment because the Savior's tears, I believe, dignify ours. Friends, there are moments where there's only one thing that happens and that's mourning and that's tears and that's grief and that's sorrow. I get it. I've been there myself. I've been on my living room floor crying out to the Lord. I've been in my office crying out to the Lord. Abraham wept over when he buried Sarah and Jacob wept as he wrestled with God and, 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 and Hezekiah wept when he, was, when he had the personal illness and, and Josiah wept over his nation, which was sinful. Like throughout the Bible, we see people weeping and in this moment as Christ wept, he weeps alongside you and me and he dignifies those tears. He sees those tears. He understands those tears. He has compassion on Mary and Martha and tonight he has compassion on you in your situation. But recognize here as well, again, your tears and my tears end differently. And this really matters because even, even in, if weeping may tarry, right? The Psalm says, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning, Psalm 30. The Bible talks about there will be a day where no more death, no more mourning, no more pain, no more suffering, no more crying. I believe it's Revelation 20, 21. And again, for context, so you understand here, yes, Jesus wept beside his friends, but, but Mary and, and the crew, they were weeping. Like this was a Jewish custom. Like they would literally be like, okay, I need you four and you four, we're going to Mary's house to weep now. And they would go and it'd be like, three, two, one, and begin. And they would, they would weep aloud and they would be loud and it would almost be obnoxious so that the whole community could hear. So they all could actually sympathize with the person grieving. But that's not the same Greek word that is used for Jesus wept. The word Jesus wept here is actually a little bit different. It's this subtle mourning, this internal grief, this depiction of like eyes welling and, and deep movement and troubled spirit. 
often of something that is coming ahead. Meaning, this is important, that yes, Jesus wept for his friends and, and I believe for us today, but Jesus also wept, understanding that right now, as he's about to give Lazarus his life back, he understands he's also giving his up. Meaning, he's giving Lazarus, Lazarus's life back to him, but he's sealing his own death. Right here, if you keep reading in, in your Bible, at the very bottom there in that same chapter, it'll say like the Jews plot to, to kill Jesus. He knows that right here in this moment, as he brings back resurrection life for Lazarus, he's sealing his fate. And the cross, the weight, the sin, the heaviness has begun, and he's starting to carry that in this moment. He sees that pain and suffering has a cost, and it's death, but he also knows the mission now ahead of him. Are you seeing this? He gave Lazarus his life back, but he gave it himself for him. And he did that for you and me. And again, you can put your name in there. You can say, listen, he gave Lucas his life, but he sealed his own fate in the same breath. And I have to look at that and think, man, this is two weeks before he even gets to the cross. And I believe he's already thinking of you and me. He's already thinking of the mission ahead. And this moment like catapults him straight towards the cross. This is the last straw. The Jews won't allow it because he really is gonna do what he said he was going to do. He really is. Final bit of scripture here together as I close tonight. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? I think he's had it. He's like, listen, everyone keeps telling me that if I was here, something would have radically changed. Well, now I am here. Right now, I'm here. In fact, I've always been here. I just had to make sure the right people who were gonna see this miracle were gonna be here. And let that be a testimony to you. He's always been there. He, he knows and he sees and he understands the pain, but he's waiting for the right moment. And in this context, this moment, to really do what he's been called to do. So they took away the stone. This is verse 41. And then Jesus looked up and said this beautiful prayer. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. Someone in here again needs to hear this. He sees what you're going through. He's wept beside you. He knows your pain and he knows your struggle and he is near. You always hear me, but I said this for the benefit, why? Here it is. I said this for the benefit of all the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the miracle of Lazarus. According to Jewish tradition, the spirit of the body would hover above the dead body for about three days. But after three days, he's not mostly dead anymore. He's dead, dead. That person is dead. And the spirit moves on. And so Jesus waits four days to prove to all of the Jews that were mourning with Mary because he wants as many people as possible to see this miracle. He waits four days to prove a point to the Jews who we get to see it and to the Jews who now want to kill him, telling them, sending them a message, I'm not going anywhere. I see the struggle of my people. I see the struggle of people. I am here to bring life and resurrection to the situations that feel dead, buried, and gone. 
because in Christ, nothing is dead, buried, gone. He literally is in the business of resurrecting the things that feel dead, buried, gone in your life and in mine. This is a really big deal. This wasn't just a miracle for Lazarus. This was a miracle for so many more, so many other people. This was a foreshadow of the resurrection to come. And by doing this, Jesus seals his fate for you and for me in this moment. One last comparison as we close, and it's, it's this idea of the linen cloth. You see, one reason, one, I guess, argument for the resurrection of Jesus is that what's documented is that the people who saw the linen cloth saw that it had not moved meaning the way it would have been wrapped around Jesus, Jesus' dead body, it was perfectly laid along kind of that tablet, that stone there, and, and it would not have moved off the rock. A lot of people argue that if it was on the ground or if it had been ripped apart, you could have made the argument that someone went in, helped Jesus escape, ripped it apart, and that, that would be a fairly good argument to say he didn't actually raise from the dead, he was, he was you know, helped by a friend or someone came in there and, and, and ripped stuff apart, right? Does it make sense? And so the linen cloth would have been everywhere. But when Peter and John get to the empty tomb in, in John, I believe it's John 20, they see the linen cloth lying perfectly, feet, hands, and face. But here, Lazarus comes out and he still has it wrapped around him. Lazarus still had the grave clothes on because Lazarus was raised from the dead only to die again. Jesus dies so that all of us could, be, could rise again, so that all of us can have resurrection life. So yes, this is a miracle for Lazarus, but there's a timestamp on it. And, and I look at this and I, I know how many of us look at Easter and know, yeah, it's beautiful and we'll do communion on Good Friday and it, it's really powerful. No, no, no. This is resurrection life. Don't walk through Easter just knowing that Jesus loves you. He does, it's true. But walk towards Easter and see Jesus' love for you and Jesus' power for you. Because I think a lot of us have seen or witnessed or heard preached or sang songs about the love of God, even the power of God, and yet for many of us, we're still wearing those grave clothes. We don't shed them off, we don't get rid of them. I don't know if it's easier just to sit in sin. I don't know if it's easier just to, to not get rid of that shame. We're too scared of what that would look like, but we sit in this place with, with the grave clothes on and Jesus is saying, take them off. Don't keep, I, what's the point of the cross? What's the point of Easter if the most powerful thing that could happen for your life and for mine, if the sin and the shame and the heaviness that kind of builds up this weight on us, even physically sometimes, mentally sometimes, if we don't understand that God's saying, I, I've broken that. I went to the cross for that, for you and for you and for me, for me and for every single one of us. And we go around life, and I saw this in a first aid kit this morning, and I grabbed it, and this, it's not a great illustration, but I just, to, get, to give you an idea, like, we walk around just with, with, with the linen cloth still over our eyes, over our hands, and we don't wanna get rid of it. And you would've seen a body wrapped in it. And I feel like for us, we just, we hold on to it. We keep walking with it, even though we've heard or seen or whatever. 
Let this be the year that you just, you, you quite literally take off the grave clothes, that you stop holding on to the thing that holds you back from a greater relationship. Sorry, guys. A greater relationship, a greater depth, a greater understanding of the love of Christ and the power of the resurrection. Because that's the difference maker here. Yes, he loves you and he went to the cross for you and there is grace for every person in this room, but it's the resurrection power that changes us daily. It's the resurrection power that takes the hardest moments of anyone's life, the most challenging moments of anyone's life, the moments that feel dead, buried, and poured over that we say, absolutely not. That is not my grave. We sing a song. I always get the lyrics wrong, but, but once where the grave was, now grace holds that ground, right? We sing all the time. Look where my chains are now. Sin has no hold on me because God has my whole heart. He's moved me. He's changed me. And the hardest pieces in life, there is resurrection power. There's miracles found if we would just embrace it and shed off the grave clothes that mark death and heaviness and sin. And we come into life and freedom and joy and abundance. That is why the road to the resurrection matters. Because we see the humanity, we see the, like, the, the, the divinity, we see both of these things clashing, and I want you to just get rid of the grave clothes. I want you to stop holding on to it. Um, there's a situation in my life, I can be so honest with you guys, there's a situation in my life that I just, I, I'm just not seeing the providence of the Lord. I'm not seeing the sovereignty that I know I preach about, and it's challenging, but I just remove, I just refuse to let the grave close, the sin, the, the doubt, the unbelief determine my prayer life, determine what I know to be true, and that there is a God who loves me and loves you and brings resurrection power and can perform the most miraculous things in everyone's life. So for the thing that feels dead, buried, and done, for the thing that feels like there is no help coming my way. Friends, that's the name of Lazarus. His name literally means God is my help. He wants to help you. And sometimes we need other people to do it. In fact, I think that's what happens here. It's not Lazarus who takes it off because sometimes it's too challenging to take it off ourselves. We literally need our friends and our community, our small group, our church to come beside us, to pray over us and say, stop wearing that. Stop holding on to that. Take off the grave clothes. Let it go, lay it down. Can I pray for you tonight? Would you close your eyes? Heavenly Father, tonight, we, we can talk and sing and listen about, your, about the scripture and listen about what you did for Lazarus, but more than anything, Lord, I ask that for the person who has prayed big prayers as of late, for the person who has cried, heavy tears as of late. For the person who feels there is no way out, I pray in Jesus' name that you would mark their heart and life and soul right now with a grace and an understanding and a security and a peace that moves them into a place of knowing and grasping that maybe it's not happening right now in front of them, but there is a God who has a plan for their pain. There is a God who sees the very things. Maybe it's a job that someone wanted in here that just feels like, I cannot believe I didn't get that. I invested so much time and energy in that. Maybe it's a relationship that is no longer happening. It just feels like I was, I was all in and I, I swear they were the one, Lord. I thought you would put them in my life for that reason. 
for the person who financially is thinking, I, I honestly don't know how I'm gonna recover. For the person in here who has lost a mom or a dad or a grandparent or a brother or a sister or a close friend. For the person in here who is quite literally looking at, at death and feels like, where is the hope? Lord, I pray you'd bring hope right now in their life. With you, there is always hope. With you, there is always a plan. With you, there is always the possibility of miracles. And so I pray miracles over the lives of young adults right now. I pray extravagant, like, transformation and change. Lord, I pray for the person who's facing addiction and heartache and, and brokenness. Lord, we pray you would repair and restore and breathe resurrection life into their life. Jesus, right now, I pray by your power, Holy Spirit, you would hover over the heavy heart you would hover over the person who needs a touch and you would bring comfort in Jesus' name that you would be their help. Holy Spirit, my words don't do it. The music doesn't do it, Lord, you do it. And so right now, as you did for Lazarus, I pray you would even plant a seed in the lives of every person here that the thing they're thinking about that feels dead, buried, gone, they'd have new hope, new life, that you would quite literally bring it back to life. It's in Jesus' mighty name I pray. And everybody says,